Our righteous deeds must be matched with righteous intent. The focus of our action should be in pleasing God and living as God intends, not seeking approval from man. Hi, I'm Femi Asaban, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, Righteous Intent and Action. In this sermon, we will look at Jesus' teaching from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 1-8, through regarding the importance of genuinely giving and praying out of a sincere, godly motive and not a performative piety for recognition from man. Hopefully, this sermon will help us to reflect on our own righteousness and align it to God's standard so in all things we will be pleasing and rewarded by God, no matter what or how man views us. We live in an age where everybody wants to see and be seen. It's uh, evident in the fact that we have our phones and what you see most people doing with their phones is taking selfies, recording the events they're at. And you'll notice that in a lot of these times when they show protests, when they show something going on on the news, what are people doing? They're showing themselves, recording it, posting it online to give some type of proof, some type of credence that they were at an event so that they can garner some type of buy-in into the group that they support. And their actions are to show solidarity and to gain praise from others with whom they identify with, from the White House to the Church House. Let's consider the present times. People want to appear religious. They want to show that they follow God. So what do they do? On their timeline on Facebook or Twitter, they put a scripture. They put an interesting thought. Why? So that others will think that they are religious. A tragedy happens in the world, and what is the first thing that we hear, especially on the news? Our thoughts and our prayers go with these people, but they do not live godly. It's just something nice to say so that people will give them some accolades because their thoughts and prayers are with the victims or with those who are struggling or facing hard times. And it's even down to what we wear, what we have on our bodies, we donate to a cause, and we get a t-shirt, a hat, a pen or something, and we show the world that I support this so people could think that we are good people because we have given to a charity. The real question is, what is a person's motive in doing all of this? What's their heart's desires through their efforts? I doubt that they're very altruistic. They're not doing good for goodness sake. They're doing good so that they can receive praise from whomever they want to identify with. You see, in Matthew 6, Jesus talks about what really benefits people who do righteous deeds. And what he highlights is that through the almsgiving, the prayer, and fasting, what really counts for righteousness? 
and I'm going to take the liberty that Jesus took. He's taking it for granted that the people he's talking to are giving alms, are praying. I'll give us the grace on the fasting because <laughs> this is America. <laughs> but I take it for granted we are helping those in need. I take it for granted that we are praying to God. So then the question is, what is the heart behind that? And we'll look at that through almsgiving and praying. Matthew 6, 1 through 8. Beware of practicing your piety or righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. It's easy to read this passage and take it out of context in the Sermon on the Mount, but looking at this section, we must keep these concepts that Jesus presents within its scriptural context in the sermon and also in the Gospel of Matthew. And the concepts that we want to keep in the forefront of our minds for the sermon are righteousness, giving, especially in regard to alms, hypocrites, praying, Gentiles or pagans, our relationship with God versus a relationship with man and the rewards that we receive. You see, where this chapter starts off is unnatural because Jesus didn't say chapter 6. No. He was going through and he actually starts this sermon off with the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, it gives us the mindset that the present things we do are for a later reward. That the things that we are seeking from God, we might not receive them immediately, but yet we still anticipate that God is going to give it to us because he wants to. And so our blessings are not predicated upon our immediate receiving of some material. And I'll just give you a little background on, on how we got to this at Earl. We're just 
was going through this Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things that we noticed was that Jesus gives the Beatitudes right after he had already healed a bunch of people and he calls his disciples to him. And he tells them what's really blessed. People in this world think that the blessings are the materials or what they would say is the healings, the casting out of the demons. But what Jesus says in the Beatitudes is no. Your true blessings are if you're poor in spirit, you will receive the kingdom of heaven. If you mourn, you will be comforted. If you are meek, you will inherit the earth. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. If you're merciful, you will receive mercy. If you're pure in heart, you will see God and the peacemakers will be called children of God. You see, these are the blessings that Jesus says are blessings right after it says that he healed a bunch of people. He cast out demons. But yet the blessings that he is telling us that we should seek after are of a spiritual nature. And so as he goes through this sermon, we have come to a part in his sermon where he talks about the righteousness that we are to do. And starting in verse 6, we can't help but notice that preceding this, we are told to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. Perfection not only in the actions we do, but the motive why we do those actions. You see, it's easy to mistake if you're a man, a person who does something right, because we can't read hearts, but God can. And so as Jesus is, is telling them how to really be righteous, he's seeking for genuine people who will follow God with their all, with the deeds that they do and with the motives that why they do it. See, Jesus is like a teller who can tell counterfeit money. No matter what denomination is on that bill, if it's counterfeit, it's worth nothing. No matter how much a person appears to be righteous, no matter how long they pray, no matter how much they give, no matter what they do, if their heart is not right, it is worth nothing. And it can actually do more damage to you if you're caught with it because it's a crime. So what should we do? We should devoid ourselves of this worthless acts of righteousness and get our hearts right with God so that that righteousness that we demonstrate will be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. You say he's not saying just do right. He's saying do right the right way because when we seek after righteousness, when we hunger and thirst for it, we will be filled. If we're willing to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, we will make heaven our home. And our righteousness must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. You see, that's a mighty 
calling for people who would seek to make heaven their home. It's not just about showmanship. It's about a heart after God, and it requires humility, and it requires patience, because the reward that we will receive comes later. And so we have to wait for it. But we also have to be humble enough to accept whatever comes with it, because if we are waiting for God to praise us, that means that we're not seeking man's praise and approval which may never come. And that's difficult because we live in a day and age where a lot of our focus is on peer review. So we're used to sending that post and getting likes. We're used to getting job reviews and telling us about our performance. We're used to going to school and getting high grades and good marks on our work. And we're used to getting family and friends approval for the things that we do because we want man's approval. But what God is telling us, what Jesus is saying, we have to switch our mindsets and not seek that. We have to humble ourselves enough to not feed into the desires of making others happy and start learning to make God happy. And that's the true righteousness. But that doesn't mean we always switch our actions because sometimes the actions are correct. I'll give you an example. Sometimes we notice that a person is chasing somebody, a spouse, boyfriend or girlfriend, so they start coming to church. Actions are correct and coming to church to worship, but their heart is wrong. But what could actually happen is they open up their heart and they hear the gospel. They keep coming to church, but then their hearts get in line with what God wants and now their actions are righteous because their hearts are in the right place. So that's what God is telling us to do. Make sure that the actions and our hearts are aligned with what he wants. And in doing this, we might do things that benefit man and get no praise from him. Take Jesus, for example. Jesus lived his life for the benefit of all mankind. Jesus lived his life righteous before God. And Jesus died a righteous man persecuted by man to bring salvation to man. And in his righteousness, understanding that man wouldn't even understand the depth of what he did, he's on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Savior is persecuted because he submitted his will to God's to benefit men who didn't understand it. That's our example. So when we are performing our righteous deeds, we have to acknowledge, we have to know that people might not understand it. 
but that's not going to stop us from doing what God wants us to do. Because truly, man will never be able to repay you, never reward you the way that God can. There's not enough thank yous. There's not enough good jobs. There's not enough pat on the backs. There's not enough money to compensate you for a loss of heaven. And that's what we're doing it for because we're seeking an eternal home. So let's look briefly at the other two examples that Jesus used, the giving alms and the prayers. I got a question for you. Have you ever been in need? Did you ever have somebody who helped you? Did you want that person telling everybody that they helped you to show how good they were? No. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't do that. Because the person that does that, they're not helping you. They're helping themselves. They just want to look good for what they did for you at your expense. That's not love. The person that truly loves you, the person that really is doing good for you, is going to do good for you and not tell anybody. So much so that they might do good for you and you don't even know that they did it. Because they didn't let their right hand know what their left hand did. And that's the depth of righteousness that God is seeking for us to do. To do good because it's what's needed to be done and don't even care who knows. Why? Because God knows. You do it in secret and God sees you in secret and God will reward you. And since we understand that, that should help us in not trying to seek man's approval for doing good. That should help us in being ready, willing, and able to assist where a need is needed without anybody telling us that they need help. Without even telling people that we're the one that helped them. Because God is going to repay us. There's a passage that says, those who lend to the poor lend to God and he repays them. <clears throat> How many people would like to get repaid by God? I'm poor. <laughs> Now, but lend to those who you know, help those who you know need help, and don't look for nothing else. God will take care of you. Now, prayer, it's the same mentality, but in the context of this Sermon on the Mount, right before we get to beware of practicing your righteous deeds so that others can see them, Jesus gives us admonition about prayer. Right now we're in a conflicted time. This Gospel of Matthew was written in a conflicted time. And those who received this Gospel, the Jews who had adhered to Christianity, they were at odds with the Jews who did not profess Christianity. Some would say they were enemies. And as Matthew's writing this Gospel, he's recalling the words that Jesus gave as he was on the mountain giving, dare I say, the best sermon ever preached. And he said, pray for those who are your enemy. That takes a lot of humility. 
somebody that you know is oppositional to you, that's your enemy, and you pray for them. And then right after this passage, he gives the model prayer of how we ought to pray to God. But pray for your enemy. And you think about that today, right now. That's not what we're doing. We're seeking our own righteousness. And I'm not talking about us individually. I'm talking about in the world. Everybody's seeking their own righteousness because they believe that they're right. And what they're doing is they're trying to show whose side they're on. And they're going to force the other side to bend to their will because they're right. But they're not. Because they're seeking the approval of man. They're not praying to God for the result that God could bring about. They're not being peacemakers. They're not being meek. It's causing confusion and turmoil in this world. And no matter who comes out on top with all of these riots, with all of this governmental misinformation, with all of these people losing their jobs, with all this confusion in the world, no matter who comes out on top, the leaders are not following God. So it will not last. The results they're seeking are not going to lead people to peace. It's going to lead to further confusion. And so that's why it's important that we understand that the righteousness that we seek is not found in ourselves. It's found in God. It's important to understand that the good that we do, we don't seek approval from man, we seek approval from God. It's important to realize that if we see somebody as our enemy, we need to pray for them because God is the God of them as well. And he will fix everything. But as we look at this passage, when Jesus is instructing those who will be righteous on how they're to do that, there's two groups in which he tells them not to be a part of. The hypocrites and the Gentiles. The hypocrites. In Matthew 23, he further elaborates on them and their Pharisees. And what they're doing is they're actually teaching people a standard that they will not live up to. These are people who know God's will, but just will not do it in their heart. They do it through their actions, but they're not pure in their motives. And Jesus says that these people are not who we're to be like. Hypocrites. We must be careful because sometimes we have hypocrites among us and we don't want to be like them because their actions look right but their hearts are wrong. And we'll never know what God does. So what we have to do is make sure that we are following God in our hearts and with our actions. So we won't be hypocrites and miss out on heaven. But the other group that he talks about is the Gentiles. And who are the Gentiles? Those were the people who did not know God. 
And so they might appear to be religious. They pray with babbling words and these long phrases as if they're trying to get their deity to hear them and to do what they're asking. And that's not who we're supposed to be like. And we see that in the world. A lot of people do not know God, yet they appear to be religious. And we are not supposed to align ourselves with them. Because they don't know God. So how can they lead us in the ways of righteousness? And if we align ourselves with them, we're not aligned with God. So we must take a stand for righteousness. And we must do things with a pure heart and the right intention because we cannot live to God's standard of righteousness being hypocritical or worshiping as a Gentile. See, the very thing that the world is seeking right now, like right now, the very thing that the world is seeking, that the world needs, the church has. And if we do not believe that, then we need to search ourselves. We need to search scripture. The confusion, the hate, and all of those answers are solved in the church. It's not in anything else. And as God's people, we must demonstrate that to the world. That's why it's important for our righteousness to be motivated by the right thing. That's why it's important for our giving to be done with the right spirit. That's why it's important for us to be willing to get down and pray for those who are opposed to God's will because God will act. And that's what he's asking us to do. Jesus informs the disciples and the crowd that what he is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, its purpose is to get people to realize that those who follow God are light. They are the light, not a light, not some light. They are the light of the world. There is no other. We are the light. And if we don't live to that standard, how dark is that darkness in us? We are the salt. There is no other salt in the world. And if we don't live to that standard, who do we expect to be the salt of the earth? There is none other. Matthew, written to a group of Christians at odds with society, was intended to strengthen the faith of the Jews. Jesus' message still has the same effect today. We are still a group at odds with society. And the Sermon on the Mount can strengthen our faith if we read it right. It is strengthening more if we lived it out. But that's going to take faith and that's going to take trust that God will be with us through all of it. Don't seek the favor of man. Seek the favor of God. Don't worry about how other people view you. I know it's hard. Because if you're living your life to get praise from men, 
you might not get it. They just might hate you because you're doing something that they can't. And that's your reward. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Seek pleasing God in your efforts with a pure heart. And your reward, while it might not come instantaneously, it's waiting for you. It's yours. Why? Because God wants to give it to you. No, God has it for you. He's holding your salvation in his hand, waiting to give it to a faithful person. And the model that we demonstrate in the church will be the model that can actually change the world. I know there's a lot of efforts, there's a lot of things that seem to be good. Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, Democrats, Republicans, all these other groups in the world, some of them seem to have the correct answer. They seem to be the way that we should go, but they're not. The church is. And if we do what God calls us to do in Jesus Christ correctly, the world will see it. Because what God is actually going to do is take people from all walks of life, put his spirit in them, and they're going to demonstrate to the world how we can come together. Just think about it. He called 12, well, he, it says 120 in Acts. There was 120 disciples. But 12 men who walked with him, a tax collector, a zealot, fishermen, business owners, amongst others, and a trader. Tax collector manipulated people and took more money than they were supposed to. I'm pretty sure if it wasn't for Christ, Peter and Andrew, James and John would have had some problems <laughs> with Matthew. A zealot wanted to overthrow the Roman government. I know he would have had a problem with the tax collector because he wanted to change the system in which they benefited from. But because of the bond that they had in Christ, they were unified and they were on the same page and they forsook all of their earthly identities to make heaven their home. When the church does its job correctly, the world will see that there is a difference in serving the true and the living God. And they will want that other than the false narrative that the world teaches. Brothers and sisters, seek the righteousness that we can only seek, find, by serving God with the whole heart. And all this other stuff will work itself out. We don't have to worry if nobody else likes us because God loves us. I'm not sure where that leaves you, but I was hoping to encourage you. Hoping to put some thoughts on your mind through this troubling time to get you to recall the blessings that we have in Christ. And those blessings are not available to you if you have not been baptized into Christ. If you need to, the water's ready. You can be added to the body that Jesus is coming back to take to heaven with him. 
There is no other way but through repentance and baptism and living faithfully. You can do that now. And if you haven't been living righteously, pray about it. If you need to, come confess your sins. Talk to a fellow brother and sister and ask him to work with you through whatever it is you're going through so that you do not miss out on the eternal salvation that Jesus Christ died to give us. Because we ain't going to make it alone. And at times we get weak. And while that's not my hope, it's the reality. We're people. And sometimes we don't live up to the calling. So if you do need prayers, you do need help, humble yourself and ask for it. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.